0: Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Let's go to God in prayer. Wonderful God, we thank you for the gift that you give us of word and song and prayer. We thank you that it is your spirit that illuminates our minds so that we can be open to the message that you have for us. We thank you for the living word in Jesus Christ. And may we see you in the text today, reveal to us, O God, what it is that you would have us know. And may we look to your presence, to your spirit, to guide us through the words and through the message. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. My daughter is a first grade teacher and she has been for about, I think about 11 years now. She loves her students. She she calls them little friends. She says in the classroom when they talk to each other, she says, friend, are you asking for? And they so they call each other that in the classroom, it's so sweet. But there's something about at the end of the year, she knows how many days, hours, and seconds are left in the school year. And that's true of most all the other teachers as well. I think that most of us have times when we feel so overwhelmed by the world and so, so weary from the crush of information and demands that we really long for escape. Luckily, it comes at just the right time when we actually get an opportunity to check out. During the year maybe we check out in a number of ways, television, a good book, hobbies, sports, all kinds of things that help us step back and away from the usual demands. And then when summer rolls around or for some others when different seasons roll around, we, we take a more extended checkout. We take a vacation or a cruise or a tour or we have a vacation home that we can't wait to get to. Anything that can allow us to have our workaday pressures and our life demands pressures behind us for a bit. I remember my son saying to me one day, if it's not one thing, it's another, Mom. It's like every time I turn around, I have to take the trash out. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, well, welcome to life, my son. So much to do. But life is demanding, just getting through life. Sometimes it's demanding. And I think that although the images that are used to sell all of these different retreats are kind of encased in a, uh, our glitzy media world, the human desire for respite, even from the world and its incessant pressures, is as old as the Bible. Religious faith, in a way, have intensified this feeling of needing to step out of where you are and escape from the world because having glimpsed a vision of what it would be like to just be with people who are pleasant, people who think the same way you do and operate the same way you do, and and the human spirit hungers not really so much for the, the splendors of a resort setting, but for a community and a way of being that avoid all the clamor and the conflict of the world. So the spiritual life has contributed to that need to step back. The history of Christianity is filled with all kinds of human arrangements. We have monasteries and convents and communal living. We have feelings and uh, uh, aspirations for utopia and retreat centers and small groups centered on prayer and piety. And for some on on the polar extreme, we have attempts to reclaim the practices of a primitive Christianity as interpreted by charismatic leaders, all of this, uh, uh, each of them develop into its own peculiar shape and ethos. But all of them are an attempt to create a space, a space unencumbered by the world that would allow for a fuller realization of the faithful, holy life. I can remember when I was in my senior year at seminary in San Francisco, and every day for the my life in seminary, every day we would have worship in the morning, worship at noon, and worship in the evening. And I tell you, that can grow on you. And it becomes a very cloistered life. And it's actually quite wonderful. And then you're jarred when you drive into the city and, and you have a different rhythm. And I can remember the last day of, of, of chapel. We were sitting at, in the, uh, a small Montgomery Chapel, which is a lovely setting. But we were sitting there, praising, praying, and just reflecting in silence. And I remember thinking, where will I find this again? How will I be able to sustain this type of worship? Well, of course, it's almost impossible but you do take that sense of needing it and wanting it with you wherever you go. Well, it appears that the desire to live apart from the world was a, a high desire and rose in the community of John, our writer, in the text today. By the end of the first century CE, conflicts with the authorities were rising and the members of John's community were Well, they were understandably attracted to a life of faith that would disengage them from the powers that were opposed to the gospel. They wanted to just hunker down, draw the wagons around, and be a community that could concentrate on their own faith life. How good would it feel to retreat into their own group to sit and recall the stories of Jesus and to sense his presence in their meals and bread and wine and to enjoy each other's supportive fellowship without having to defend their beliefs, without having to hide some things and, and to defend their practices in a hostile world. How good would that feel? But the wisdom of John's sermon delivered as the instruction of Christ, has something very surprising to say to us about that inclination for us to withdraw from the world. Listen to John 17:6 through 19. It's printed in your bulletin. I'm reading from the message version. I spelled out your character in detail to the men and women you gave me. They were yours in the first place. Then you gave them to me, and they have now done what you said. They now know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that everything you gave me is firsthand from you. For the message you gave me, I gave them, and they took it, and were convinced that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the God-rejecting world, but for those you gave me. For they are yours by right. Everything mine is yours and yours mine, and my life is on display in them. For I am no longer going to be visible in the world. They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, guard them. As they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me, so they can be one heart and mind as we are one heart and mind. As long as I was with them, I guarded them in the pursuit of the life you gave through me. I even posted a night watch, and not one of them got away, except for the rebel bent on destruction, the exception that proved the rule of scripture. Now I'm returning to you. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy completed in them. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways, just as I didn't join the world's ways. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world then I am defined by the world. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your your word is concentrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes, so they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. The word of the Lord. So this text really provides us an alternative to retreat from the world, and it's important to understand that the the term world here does not signify the universe or the planet on which we live. The word world signifies the totality of life that is at odds with God and that rejects Jesus and lives in in the grips of evil. And to live in that world is pretty risky. Being identified as a unique community that clings to the name of Jesus poses a threat to all the accepted absolutes and certitudes that the world offers and that determines the world's values. Security and stability are not assured. We can see that when Judas capitulates to pressures around him it's an illustration of what can happen again and again we read that Jesus and his disciples do not belong to the world that is to say the world's claims do not shape their essential identity and faith and values they are shaped by something else at the same time Christ is crystal clear in this particular text that there is no escape from the reality of the world. There is no place that we can go to hide from the world. He says, I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. Christ speaks to them in the world where they live. Christ speaks to us in the world where we live and where we will find joy in ourselves or to provide another equally valid translation among themselves, not just finding that value in the world, but between each other in this community. The scriptures say, yes, you can be a community. And yes, we can find joy in this community. But the scriptures say, no, the community is not to abandon the world. That's not our mission. That's not our right. We can't abandon the world as if fearing that the congregation will not get these messages. John portrays Christ as repeating this message over and over again in different ways. He says, I am not asking you to take them out of the world, as he's speaking to his father, but I ask you to protect them. They don't belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world, but I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Instead of retreat from the world, Christ offers an alternative model that can empower the community, that can empower us to live in the world without succumbing to the pressures and the values that the world offers around us. That's pretty hard to do. And there's always temptation to become reflective more of the world's values than of the ones that we really claim as our own in Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't respond to our lives by saying that we should not be so busy with worldly affairs. Most people think that what Jesus is asking you to do is stop being so busy. Jesus isn't trying to pull us away from the many events or activities and people that make up our lives. He doesn't tell us that what we do is unimportant or valueless or useless and nor does jesus suggest that we should withdraw from our involvements that we should all live in a retreat setting quiet restful lives removed from the struggles of the world although we all seek that from time to time jesus response to our lives is quite different than that what jesus asks us to do is to shift the point of gravity for ourselves, to relocate the center of our attention, to change our priorities while we're doing all that we do. Jesus wants us to move from the many things to the one necessary things. Do you remember that scripture? Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will follow. That's not just a great song. That's not just a small verse. That's, That's the message. That's the key. Jesus doesn't speak about our our change in wanting us to leave our many-faceted world. Rather, he wants us to live deeper into our world, firmly rooted in the center of all things. Sometimes we think so linearly. We think that, here's our priority, and then here's the second, and then here's the third, and here's the fourth, and so on. I remember being way back in, in Bible college when I was the only female in any of the classes, and they would list, they make a list of this. Your priority is God, then the church, then your family, and, then, and that never sat well with me. I always thought, that doesn't make any sense to me, But if we think of God as the center and everything, all the love that we have to give to family, to friends, all the integrity we can muster for our workplace or whatever, coming out of that center like spokes on a wheel rather than a line, it makes perfect sense. Jesus doesn't speak to us about a change in activities. He speaks to us about a change in in context. He doesn't speak to us about a change of pace. What Jesus is speaking to us about is a change of heart. It's like you were a juggler, and you're trying to juggle all these balls. And one is family, one is friends, one is all of this. And sometimes people feel like when we, when, when we ask them to be involved in church or we invite you to deepen your faith by, by study or whatever, that in your mind you're seeing one more ball being added to all the ones that you're juggling. But if you could shift your gravity, if you could shift your location to understanding, you're not being asked to add another ball, you're being asked to change the heart of the juggler so that the heart of the juggler is able to see what they're, what they're keeping going in a different way, in a deeper way. And this change of heart makes everything different, even while everything looks to be the same. This is the meaning of set your hearts on God's kingdom first and all of these other things we'll be giving you as well. What counts is where our hearts are. When we worry, we have our hearts set in the wrong place. Jesus asks us to move our hearts to the center. Not that we shouldn't be concerned, not that we shouldn't be good stewards, not that we shouldn't be alert, but worry. Worry does nothing. When we move our hearts to the very center, everything else falls in place. So, what is the center? Jesus calls it the kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus is God. Our kingdom is the heart of God. And we're urged to understand Jesus' words as an urgent call to make the life of God's Spirit our priority. And by doing so, we're able to better see what's at stake. A heart set on the Father's kingdom is also a heart set on the spiritual life. To set our hearts on the kingdom, therefore, means to make the life of the Spirit within us and among us the center of everything that we do and everything that we say, that we're no, that we're no longer imprisoned by our impulses, by our regrets, by our harbored grudges, that we're free from those when we live out of the center. They are to stay in the world under the protective care of God. This is what Jesus asked for, that we be guarded from all those temptations to allow ourselves to be imprisoned by the values of a, of any world that rejects God, rejects Christ. We are to live amidst the knotted complexities of the world without becoming entangled in in the world. And the holiness that we might have hoped to achieve by escaping from the world is to be found not through disengagement, but through the action of God and through the immersion into God's word. God's word written, God's word preached, God's word lived through Jesus. This reorients the directions of our yearnings. Christ recognizes the desire we have to be holy, to be set apart. We want to serve God. We want to love God to the best of our abilities. We certainly can't do it on our own. And God recognizes that. And God is able to turn us to the truth of God's word that's revealed in the here and now, not always just in the past. This plea to remain in the world rises to a crescendo when Jesus prays, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So you see, option, there's not an option for us to abandon the world. As you have sent me, Now I send them. Is it getting more clear that the reflection we have that we want to see in the mirror is a reflection of Christ? That is a reflection for us to see in the mirror and for us to know that Christ has confidence in us to be his body in the world. The strong phrase into the world is the exact opposite of getting out of the world. So in one clear, crisp verse, Christ reminds the church that the pattern of his own life is not escape from the world, but its engagement with the world and all of its distorted powers and pressures. John's sermon is a passionate plea for us to remain in the world, addressed to a community that for very good reason is exhausted by the world, and maybe we are too. It's addressed to a community that's ready to be done with it, and maybe we are too. Just as we experience exhaustion with this world's ceaseless violence and corruption, and the frequent feelings of despair over our inability to make a difference. Many of us will take a vacation this summer. Some of us will take staycations. But we'll all ask each other from time to time, what are you doing this summer? Where are you going? Are you going to get a break? Are you going to take a rest? And hopefully, most of us will be able to say yes. But many of us will return from vacation feeling that we need a vacation to recover from our vacation. We return wishing we could sustain sometimes the refreshed feeling and restoration that we feel when our vacation is over. But I don't know about you, we hit the pavement pretty hard as soon as we get on that plane to come home or pull up in the driveway. There's mail to be sorted and bills to be paid But this text reminds us that while the much-needed time away and short respites are good for us, we need that, that there's really something that can sustain us in this peace, in this feeling that maybe we're not to be run ragged by the world, that will allow us to live vitally and faithfully in the world, not owned by it, but fully engaged with the needs and the wounds and energized by the truth of God's word and by the truth who was sent into the world that we all might have a more abundant life here and now. John is the only evangelist to tell the story of how Jesus spent his last night with his disciples. They didn't know it was their last night with the living Jesus. And what he was trying to do was teach them how to continue to be Christ in the world without him. How they did it is how we're to do it. How we will continue to follow Jesus when we can't see him. We've all been given the mission to continue Jesus' life when he's no longer physically with us. And we ask ourselves, how do we do it? So, of course, the only answer is we have to go back and we have to see how Jesus did it. Jesus got up from the table that last night and he took a basin of water and a towel and he proceeded to wash the feet of his disciples. Peter objected, but Jesus overrode him and continued the washing. One of the most motherly things, by the way, I think Jesus could have possibly done. Then Jesus began to talk and he talked for a very long time. This is the longest conversation of Jesus that we have in the New Testament. The disciples listened, and eight times the disciples interrupted Jesus to ask questions and to make comments. And finally, Jesus prayed the prayer we just read. And as he prayed, this is what he did. He gathered up the life they had lived together, and he fused it into the life the disciples would continue to live praying his life and work and their life and work and our life and work into a living identity. It was going to be the same life, whether people saw and heard Jesus living it or whether they would see and hear the disciples living it or whether they would see and hear us living it. It would be the same life. So the pattern holds. Whatever we do in Jesus' name... We begin on our knees before our friends and neighbors, and we conclude by looking up to heaven, praying to our God. Washing feet and praying to our living God are the bookends of our life. Thanks be to God.